0: This is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in the boomer generation.
1: We are Jennifer Davis Page, B.B. Peters,
0: and Dr. Andrea Gold. Welcome to this episode of Boom Goddess Radio. I am Andrea Gold Marks. And I'm sitting here in our beautiful studio with Jennifer Davis-Page and our guest, Devora Coriel. Welcome.
2: Good morning.
1: I'd like to, um, if we have any uh, difficulty understanding what a true friend is, I'd like to read a a beautiful verse that I saw the other day. Uh, It reads, the only way to have a friend is to be one. It's not that diamonds are a girl's best friend, but it's your best friends who are your diamonds. One of the most beautiful qualities of true friendship is to understand and to be understood. A real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out.
0: What a lovely, what a lovely commentary. What do you think,
2: Devorah? Well, um, it struck me immediately the last line about a real friend is the one who walks in when everyone walks out having recently come through a very uh, a catastrophic medical diagnosis with my son and seeing who walked in and who walked out it was powerful
0: that's so interesting you know the different levels of friendship and also what has struck me is that sometimes during a catastrophic situation, those in your friendship circle who you might not speak to every day all of a sudden come forward. And I think friendship is such a magical, it's, it's a magical topic and one that we intend to revisit over and over again because there, there's so much dimension to it. There's so many facets to the kaleidoscope, so to speak. So I have a question. Oh. And that is, what would you say is, um, what was involved in the development of a, a newer friendship later in
2: life? It's a, a, a an interesting question. Uh, I've had the opportunity in the last 10 years, uh, eight years really, to make some amazing new friends. Um, and when I think about it, um I guess maybe one of the first qualities that open the door is trust, that at this point in my life, when I meet someone new, um, it's like it feels like all in or all out right away. You know, there's no in between.
0: It's interesting. I wonder what signals you to, to feel safe enough to trust another being
1: and you and I first met about, I guess, about three years ago. Something uh, like we that. We were at a reception, and I was drawn to you right away because you're so tall and beautiful and <laughs> lovely. And I, uh, you said something interesting to me, and you told me how you're eliminating people out of your life mm. at this stage in your life mm. that. Friends are coming. New friends are coming. Old friends, or people that you thought were friends, are now moving out of your your right. uh, your life. You want to talk a little bit about that, so that our listeners can perhaps relate to your story. Sort of like weeding the garden. Weeding the garden. That's excellent, Doctor. Yeah,
2: um, I appreciate having the opportunity to reflect on something that I said several years ago. Uh, that today I would not use the word eliminating. It was much less intentional than that. It was almost, um, it, it was happening of its own accord that as I came back to a place that I had left 20 years ago and came, moved back to Tucson, had no friends here, a few, and was starting all over again. It became very clear the people with whom I was resonant, um, and the people with whom I wasn't, and and there was just this natural attrition. It just seemed like where where there was no real resonance for where we were today, that there didn't seem to even be any reason to stay connected.
0: It's a testament to the fact, I think a fact, that as we grow, we, we have different attractions and we have different spaces in our life and different needs, actually. And the universe tends to cooperate with that and and sometimes surfaces exactly what we do need. And before we know it, we don't even recall what the previous setup looked like.
2: Yeah, I I've, it feels to me that um, as I age friendships are the real mana of my life, that that my friends are like the context out of which I am growing and that I see in my interactions um, either a picture I like of me or a picture I don't like of me. I see myself reflected in my friends.
0: I'm remembering a quote about the fact that friends... And you'll remember this quote, too, I think, Tavora, that friends are mirrors for us, for sure. But I think the quote was something like, friends are God's way of loving us. They're mm-hmm. the people through whom God loves us. Metaphoric God.
1: You know, the, when you and I, again, we're going back to that wonderful conversation <laughs> we had a few years ago. I'm glad I've still got a good memory and you've still got a good memory about it. But one of the things that, that so impressed me uh, with a question I had asked you was, the the friends, do you have young friends? And are all of your friends pretty much in your own age group? So you want to tell our listeners what you said to me at that time, and I'll tell them how that affected me.
2: Uh, yes, I, I do. But I have to say, I am remembering the segue that conversation grew out of was, we were talking, you were talking about high heels. <laughs> And that you were envious of young women who could still wear four-inch or seven-inch heels. Well, you know, luckily being, you know, almost six feet tall most of my life, high heels held no allure for me. But it did get us into this place of how do we feel about being friends or can we be friends with younger people? And what I shared with you at the time, which is still true, that one of my best friends. Uh, she was, at that time, 23 years old. She's now 26, almost 27 years old. And um, the connection that we have, and, I, and actually, I have a number of friends who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like, uh, I'll collect anybody that resonates.
1: That's good. And that's the and key. The and key is the me resonation. That. Absolutely. You've taught me that. Because before this conversation that you and I shared, most of my friends were contemporaries. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have any 20-year-old friends or 30-year-old friends. But since that conversation, let me tell you, I've been looking for them and I've found some fabulous young women that have been instrumental in my life.
2: Oh, you know, I have the great gift to be part of a, an academic um, environment where we teach doctors in training medical students, and medical residents. So I'm around these students who are by and large 28 to 35 years old, uh, twice a year, only twice a year for a month at a time. It enlivens my entire year. It puts me in relationship to a completely different energy than my peers have
0: and i'd like to also bring up on the other end of the spectrum to have friends who are a decade or two older than we are it helps it helps shed light on what we can expect and of course we don't expect the exact same outcomes that perhaps their karmic path has created for them but we really get to see that life offers a whole lot of unexpected and if we have the opportunity to witness in a loving way, in a caring way, the, um, the paths of those who've come before us, for whom, with whom we have the same amount of resonance. I recently had my best friend from graduate school was about 17, 18 years older than me. And she recently passed so her whole effect on me has come up again and in very beautiful ways. She left me her mink coat in her well That's and her son called and said, what are you going to do with that? And I said, well, maybe I'll just like cut off a little piece so that I can have a piece of Ruthie in my In my life. But what I learned from her where she was 37 and I was 23, she was going through a divorce. And I learned
1: a whole lot about divorce way before it was ever on my plate. As an example, the young women that are following Boom Goddess Radio, you know, uh, traditionally. Uh, they they have mothers or aunts, but they ha- are looking. They've been telling me that they listen to Boom Goddess, and they they see that we're clearing a path for them, and and telling them how to become um, wonderful human beings, how to become wonderful women, and really how to appreciate friendships. And they appreciate that.
2: You know, it's a great uh, concept: clearing paths. Native people have. An idea of those who are pathfinders in our lives. Uh, sometimes we can have somebody who, you know, falls into every pothole on the street, and you get to see where the potholes are, and they are that for you. So I want to just say something about friends at the other end of the spectrum, because one of my closest friends is 88 years old. And uh, I am reminded of a teaching that Dr. Andrew Weil often gives his medical students where he says if you have a disease find someone who has done well with that disease and just spend time with them don't you don't need to know what they did just be with them well I'm not saying old age is a disease but it is a challenge and I find that the older people in my life are I choose them as people I would like to emulate, I want that, I want to be that 88 year old. And I have my young friends say to me, I want to be that 72 year old. Exactly. So we are that for each other. And
0: I love that whole concept of friends as mentors. We have friends as muses. We have friends who inspire us and friends who light the way and show us the potholes. And I think this is such a wonderful conversation. And I am wondering if you're willing to come back again sometime soon for us to continue this.
2: Of course. I love talking to the two of you
1: thanks oh, so much. we thank you so much. And thanks, thank you Deborah. for being our diamond.
2: Uh, I want to thank you two for inviting me here. I love Boom Goddess Radio. I love what you've done. The commitment and passion that you have brought to this topic has really opened conversations uh, that are so important. And for me, visiting with you to talk about friendship inspires my life and my friendship. So thank you. Thank you what you for what you're doing.
0: Thanks so much for being here.
1: Many people lack a clear understanding of the levels of friendship, which involves specific freedoms and responsibilities, depending on the closeness of the relationship. The four levels of friendship are acquaintance, casual friendship, close friendship, and intimate friendship. Well, let
3: me just first welcome our next guest. Uh, Renee Mona joins us for a continued interview about the idea of friendship and what it means to us in our lives, in our hearts. And uh, to answer Jen's question, uh, what type of friendships are we? What type of friendship do uh, we have? Can you say those again, those four?
1: Absolutely. Acquaintance, casual friendship, close friendship, and intimate friendship.
3: Oh, there's another level for us. And oh, That my. level is heart friendship. That's how I feel. Renee, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. I, we know that you are uh, a former uh, nonprofit executive, that you uh, now retired and living here in Tucson with your Beautiful and warm and lovely husband, that your former llama mama, and we'll get to that. Welcome. Tell us a little bit more about yourself.
4: Well, thank you so much for this amazing invitation to talk about a subject that t- totally and completely touches my heart. Um, without the amazing um, heart of friendship, um, I don't know if I would be here today because i really, i I had a very um challenging life and um you know it was wonderful growing up on a huge farm in Oregon and um traveled to Israel and studied and lived and married and and but in my late twenties, I became a single mom, and it was the amazing women along that journey that supported me, encouraged me, laughed with me, and shared and shared and so much love. And when was that? When was that period of time when you were a single mom? Um, My daughters were five months and two and a half the day I uh, moved back to Oregon. And uh, my welfare worker, Mary Kay, is still one of my dear friends. She lives in Portland. And um, she helped me get started and got me a part-time job and eventually supported me and helped me get into graduate school so that I could get a degree in business and HR.
3: So you had these
4: women on whose wings you were floating. Yes, and back in the early 70s, um, when I was at University of Oregon, I worked with at that time, it was called International Student Services. And I saw this brochure. I could go to a kibbutz for six months and study Hebrew and work. And I just, I loved languages. I studied Russian. I studied German. Russian. And I, su- I didn't know that. I did too. Oh, my God. Yes. And um, eventually learned Hebrew and still pe- speak Hebrew today. But it was on, on that kibbutz, this program I went on with 32 other young people. We arrived in Israel the day after the Munich Massacre during Vietnam War. So there was a lot right there when we arrived. And we were assigned rooms, two women each, or two guys each. It's September, it's warm. Excuse me. And next door I start hearing music, The Temptations. And I'm playing the four tops. (laughs) And that's when I met my best friend Ruth and we became the Motown girls. And She was the sister I never had. She was so amazing. She was from Indiana. Uh, We went back to the States. A year later, I went back to college in Jerusalem. She went back to the kibbutz. And later on, um, when I became a single mother, um, and as I said, got into grad school, she got accepted to the University of Oregon grad school, moved from Indiana, we rented a house, And she helped me with the girls because I worked two part-time jobs as well as full-time school. I can't tell you how that
3: just moves
4: me and touches my heart. You go through these waves
3: in your life, as you have just described, Renee. And uh, these women are little angels that are appearing to you in all these different ways. So tell us more about Ruth. How did that relationship then
4: proceed? And what happened to you two? Um. We were so incredibly close, and uh, as you know, I have a great sense of humor, and that's one of the things we so enjoyed about each other. I can't wait
3: to tell a story <laughs> about that. Go ahead.
4: You know, and um, once uh, we finished grad school, uh, it was right at the time of what they called festiture for AT&T. They had to learn how to make money, you no know, more monopoly. And so I got hired by an Oregon alumni, and I moved to the Bay Area when AT&T opened down there. And she took a job in Portland. And so I stayed in uh, California for four years, and another one of my dear friends from those AT&T days, I'm still close with Mary in Sacramento, and I transferred back to Seattle because I love the Northwest and raising my girls there. And so she was in Portland and I was in Seattle, and another one of my dear friends from AT&T in Seattle lives in Phoenix now that I still see my friend Sky.
0: So it's interesting how the universe seems to be following us and and echoing and mirroring back our needs and presenting us through selective perception maybe that we perceive who is in our environment and there's something magical
3: that happens then. It just kind of clicks in and remains. Absolutely. And I think that, have to be open to it, right? It sounds to me, and certainly knowing you for 20 plus years, I felt like you are so open to humanity, particularly to friendship. You allow that closeness to come to you and you seek it. You talk to me at times and you say, I so miss my time with my girl
4: pals, right? Right. That's so true. And, you know, growing up in a very small town in Oregon um, and being now I'm 6'1", but even back in kindergarten, I was the tallest <laughs> kid in the class. And so grade school wasn't always that easy. But eventually in middle school, when we moved from Corvallis to McMinnville, my, I met this young lady, Chris, who was just here two weeks ago visiting me with her husband. And uh, they called us Mutt and Jeff.
3: Was she short? Is
0: that what
4: it was? Oh, okay. You know, that brings up for me
0: being the smallest girl in the class and wondering about sometimes how we select somebody on our level just because it can be easier, but it takes a a stronger attachment. Like the Devora who was just here, she's six feet, I'm five feet. There's the mutton Jeff dimension right. as well. And just like
4: my friend Ruth, much shorter. She's just a little bit taller than my friend Chris. And Chris was in charge of uh, overseeing the 40th high school reunion. I hadn't been back to McMinnville wine country now, no animals. And she said, Renee, please, please, I want to see you. Please come. And that's how we reconnected after all these years. And so back to, you know, with, with Ruth um, and also being shorter, we got, joked a lot, you know, uh, short and tall. But we just, um, we stay so connected. Eventually she got married at age 40. And uh, again, I was in Seattle, she was in Portland, and we spent a lot of time together. And then unfortunately, at the age of 41, she was diagnosed with ALS. And in less than a year, it took her life at age 42. You know, I, I lost my dad at 15, but I have to tell you, Losing Ruth was the hardest one. Are
3: you in the process of uh, writing something about that life and that experience,
4: right? Have you been able to get into that yet? Um, I started that when I was still in Seattle and Pacific Northwest Writers Conference I used to love to go to because I wrote a lot of essays and newspaper articles, as you remember. And um, so I took uh, some of the writing and I met with an agent. And because of all the, if you think about back in the 70s, all the history and the politics and the backdrop of interweaving and, and um, diversity, so the agent said, you have an enormous amount of awesome work. Do not write a memoir. Make it fiction. That way you can even integrate and, you know, you can tweak things however you want to. And so I do have some of it, and I haven't touched it in several years. And because you asked me here today, I drew this book out because I have so many notes in here, The Seasons of Friendship, Naomi and Ruth as a Model for Relationship. And I have so many notes when I started writing. And I thought, you know what? You have just brought up that connection for me again.
3: Oh my gosh, we are so delighted to do that. And
4: it just touches my
3: heart to no end that we are helping you to expose the uh, gratification, the gratitude, the joy that friends have brought to your life. It's amazing. And I want to just share a little personal story about how you and I met, right? Because over 20 years ago, I was on the... I was one of the folks in my architectural firm that attended a lot of nonprofit events. And there was a fun debt raiser at the founder of Costco, Mr. Jim Cynical, a marvelous man, beautiful home. And when I entered the room, it was all full of people. Of course, they're having their cocktails, and there's a greeter at the door. And I was just by myself. And I said, Hi, could you show me who in the room? has the best sense of humor because the greeter knew The people there. And she, without hesitation, pointed to Renee Momna who's sitting right in front of me. And I said, man, I'm going right for that woman. And so I approached you, and being 5'9", myself, we looked pretty darn good on the floor, being two tallies. um, And I said, hey, I hear you have the best sense of humor. And man, that friendship just
4: rolled from there. That's so true. And that story is never... Stops
1: being fun. Have you two sent, you should send the greeter. Did you ever say a thank you to the greeter? Oh, Oh, yes, we have. We have. That's great. Yeah, Lynn worked for me at that time.
4: Right. Okay,
3: so now tell us. I just want to get to the other point, and then we'll take a little break and come back. Um, Tell us about the llama mama thing. People know you as llama mama, and there is so much interest in that. What is that about, baby? (laughs) Uh,
4: Well, since uh, we have a psychiatrist in the room, I won't talk about my llama addiction right now. (laughs) Please, oh, please do. We have no no such being in the room. (laughs) So... um, you know, having grown up on a 375 acre farm in Oregon, I um, grew up with every possible domestic animal. Used to ride a 17 hands Tennessee Walker. And that's then, a horse. Yes, thank you. I'll oh, go thank up you. in and, the city. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the city. Thank you. And so, I, you know, always um, loved animals and uh, always have dogs ro- with my daughters growing up, but nothing else. Well, Uh, At the time, the boyfriend I had, we went down to Sun River, Oregon, for a vacation. And this was in the 90s. And at that time, llamas were still considered exotic animals and had to be quarantined for 90 days before they could come into the United States. Well, there was a vet who was um, instrumental in launching the llama industry in the United States. And his ranch was in Sun River. And we're driving by. And I see hundreds of llamas and I say to my boyfriend, oh my gosh, you have to stop. And that's the first time I saw them up close and personal and some were coming up to the fence. And the next day, when we were in the little town of Sun River, I went to a bookstore. And what book stood out to me? Llamas for Love and Money. (laughs)
3: <laughs> as in like uh, attracting other men or love them,
4: like what building a business building, building a, a business, business and all the different things you could do with llamas and so a year later uh, my, old, my youngest daughter who now lives in Phoenix was going to be a junior in high school and, and she loved animals I said how would you feel if we bought a farm and moved out of the city and you'd have to change high schools I love that idea so that's when I bought the five-acre farm outside of Issaquah and uh, started getting into the llama industry for 10 years. And did you actually make some money on it? Um, well, I did breeding and sales. Oh. Yeah. You know, the beautiful silver-wooled llama stud I had was from one of the Nordstrom daughters on her big farm outside of Seattle oh oh how fabulous plus the other part of it even though at that time i was running all the university of phoenix campuses in washington state i had my plymouth voyager with no seats in the back (laughs) so the llamas could just walk in i had two geldings trained one at a time i would take one and we would go to corporate events and we would do birthday parties and store open however wherever i could share my llamas
3: So we're back with Boom Goddess Radio, and this is BB Peters, and Jennifer Davis-Page is here, and Dr. Andrea gould Marks, and we're talking to one of our special and dear guests. Her name is Renee Mona. So, um, Renee, you mentioned that you were a single mom
4: of two daughters. For how long a period of time was that? Well, I did have a couple of boyfriends during the time that uh, they were growing up. You know, they went off to college, and uh, one of them graduated from ASU, and the other one UC Santa Barbara, and they both are living fabulous lives. And it wasn't until um, 10 years ago that I actually met the only tall Jewish boy in all of Seattle in my demographics, and I got married six years ago. Oh, how
3: fantastic. So as a single mom, then, to those two girls, what kind of friendship, what kind of impact from
4: friends, help, assistance, support, what happened during that period of time? One of the things for me is sharing. You know, it's so important for us to know that we can pick up the phone or say, can you come over for a drink or a cup of coffee or whatever it is, I need to talk. and that opportunity to be able to share and not to fear anything. To be yourself, to To be be your authentic
3: self, completely Uh, naked, right? I picture it like, you know, if you didn't have any clothes on and your buttocks were touching each other, that's how friendships get, you know? It's that rawness
4: of it, right? Yes. And, um, you know, so many of my girlfriends, other than Like you are very much shorter than me, so (laughs) we do a lot of hugging. (laughs) I'm always the the one they want to hug me, (laughs) and so along the way, knowing that, I mean, there was there was even time when one of my girlfriends helped me financially, you know, because being a single mom, starting your career, trying to pay the bills, and and then as they start to grow and they want to do activities and and all those types of things, so knowing that I had this handful of amazing women that I could ask for anything as well as have fun together. So important to laugh. Oh, and how
3: about you, Jen? Uh, Tell us about your experience as a single mom of two boys. How was
1: that? I was a single mom of three boys, and we lived in Chicago. So I raised three African-American young men, And I worked for Playboy. So all of their friends were really thrilled to come by my house, thinking that they were going to find some magazines laying around. But I had casual friends with their mothers because we, their mothers and their fathers, because in the 80s, raising African American boys in a large city came with its challenges, which we'll talk about another time. But as a result of that, the parents all We had casual relationships because we were out to protect our kids from outside forces, which brought us closer. So, you know, we all looked out for our teenage boys. And um, as a result of that, I mean, I have my boys are in their 50s now, and I still get calls from those boys that would sit around my dining room table, eat my pound cakes and They'll call me even today and say, hi, mom, how are you doing? And the interesting thing is my dining room table that I've had for 45 years is the same dining room table that all of these young people sat around. And the thought of selling it was completely off of the table, pardon the pun, because my children told remarkable stories. They told me lies. They told me all kinds of things at this table. And it brings back such great memories. So I've had some wonderful friendships with the parents. I love the idea of the table and how you
3: holding on to it at this time reminds you of that period of time in your life when you were experiencing all this. You know, it's like it's uh, confirming it. It's keeping it with you and close to you. That's such a great story. Thank you. (laughs) Dr. Andrea,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know, of course, conversation has Really, the amazing quality of being able to jog all of our memories. And as a single mom, um, I made a friend who was a student of mine in a graduate course I was teaching. I was teaching a course in organization development. And one of the students in the class, she was 23, I was maybe 34, became a good friend. And while I was helping her with her dissertation, one snowy night, she said, Could I stay over? I don't want to drive all the way back to Staten Island. And I said, sure. And a couple of weeks later, she moved in. (laughs) So I had an eight-year-old son, and I was working full-time. And now all of a sudden, I had this younger sister who was almost precisely between me as a single mother and my son. She was an interface. And she and I, to this day, are the closest of friends, though she's now in New York and I am here. But that's just one example. I have another example that I'm recalling. A very good friend who became single at a similar time, and we each had only children. And I know you're an only child, Bebe. Well, we made a little family, and we would do things together, and the kids had one another as, as quote-unquote siblings. And she now is in California and I'm here, but still really close friends. So I think motherhood, the vulnerability, the exposure, the need for
4: support is like a fertile ground for the seeds of friendship to bloom. Andrea, I really appreciate that. That really made me think of, uh, and also Jennifer with with the families, the because with your with your children in school, and for me being Jewish, uh, my daughters went to Hebrew school, you know, twice a week, to prepare for their bat mitzvahs. And so there's two uh two as they made their friends, there were two couples, one Israeli and one not, that our kids grew up together, and both couples in the last year have come to visit us in Tucson, and we just stayed so close. And again, I think their support, like Robert and Deborah. Would pick up my daughters after school, and um, take them over to their house and watch them, you know, when they were younger.
3: So, um, Renee, being such a steward of friendships, um, you—I have observed you during our twenty-plus years of knowing each other how you nourish your friends. What what are some of the things that you do to stay connected, to keep connected, to build, to
4: blossom that friendship? Well, two things come to mind. My friends that I've known for decades. Um, now it's it's so important. We just know that either one of us, any of us, can pick up the phone and call. Since most of us, you know, we've only been in Tucson two years. Don't my friends don't live here, Mike? And also making time. come and visit. You know, one of my girlfriends just retired from Boeing, she's coming down in the fall and this one and this one. And so that that, uh, part of knowing that it's always safe because of our long history of loving and sharing and encouraging and supporting each other, we can do that. And then at the same time as my career evolved, um, I was very drawn to mentoring and coaching young women. And a few of those young women, even today, one of them still lives in um, Seattle, Gina. Even now when she calls me, she calls me her Seattle mama. And then another young lady that I helped get promoted to take over my last pos- position at Pima Medical Institute in Seattle. Like yesterday, she's driving home from work. She lives out in Woodenville. You know, it's about an hour. And she calls me, just wants to talk, share about work, about her daughter, her marriage, I'm talking about my life. And so it's that balance, right, of reaching out and being open to
3: the friendship coming towards you. And
0: it's that connection that builds the the continuity. And we can never underestimate the power of reaching out because it could be 10 years. How many of us now have been contacted by people from high school? Because we can, because there is social media, because there is Facebook, because we can text someone. And best of all, we can
1: Skype, we can Zoom, we can FaceTime, we can keep it rolling. You know, Jackie Kennedy once said that you know that you you were a successful mother when your adult children want to come and play with you. So we have our adult children who want to come and play with us and their friends that want to come and, and, and play with us. So I, that's, that's a wonderful story.
3: Well, we want to give our deepest gratitude to Renee Mona for joining us today to talk about friendship. And I want to end this segment with a heartfelt story uh, about someone that we all love, and that is Mr. Bruce Springsteen, who's a hottie, of course, and he was doing a one-man Broadway show and talked about the value of friendship in his life uh, that uh, a saxophonist, and he had, who has since passed away. And so this is about Bruce He talks about Clarence, the saxophonist, um, how elemental he was in Bruce's life. Losing him was like losing the rain. If I were a mystic, I guess Clarence's and my friendship would lead me to believe that we stood together in other older times, in other lives, other rivers, other ancient cities, in other fields doing a modest version of God's work. And that's what I think you have done, uh, Renee. That's what you do. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.
4: To all three of you, thank you so much. This this has been inspirational for me, and given uh, my healing process right now, it's fabulous.
0: We're here in the studio, Boom Goddess Radio, with B.B. Peters, Andrea Gold Marks, and we have two wonderful guests today to help us continue the conversation about friendship. But this time, we've got men in the studio. We've got Ron Reed, and we have Michael Marks. Welcome, you guys.
5: Hi. Thank you. Hi.
0: What do you think, Ron?
5: I I hate to generalize, just speak from my own experience, but what I'm told is that that men don't ask detailed questions of their friends the information and that you know I'll say uh i say somebody oh he didn't feel well My friend, wait, where did, where's where's eric well eric didn't feel well well what is eric got uh, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> what, what didn't you ask him no no i didn't feel like prying you know to me, i've to never me been feels, in this <laughs> conversation <laughs> <laughs> to me to me it feels like prying when you ask right. like medical details <laughs> right. or stuff right. like that and then where did the doctor put his hands you know, I, I just uh right, so okay. I, I
3: need yeah. we just add for a moment that Ron Reed is an amazing comic and a comic instructor and teacher. Yes. So if we're laughing through this entire episode, <laughs> you'll understand why completely. We jumped right into a lot of that. <laughs> I don't know
6: if I...
0: We, we that, jumped right pressure. into that one <laughs> mm-hmm. because part of it is, you know, how... Ha- ha- do you think and this is a question to each of you how how do male friendships take root are they continuations only of old friendships or what do you say to new friendships how is that Dr well, Michael
6: well, well let me follow up on what Ron was saying I remember living in Montana and I lived out in the middle of nowhere and so my wife and I out there on the weekends the women would all gather at our house and go for a hike out to this meadow and they would be talking and a couple hours later they'd come back and they'd be talking and then over dinner I would hear about everything about their aunt in Duluth who they were (laughs) fighting with. So then one time the men in this little small valley that we lived in got together to help this guy build a deck and so we went over and we did that kind of an old Montana barn raising thing and I got home And my wife asked at the time, she said, so how to, you know, what'd you guys talk about? Well, we talked about building a deck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what else did you talk about? (laughs) Uh, What kind of screws to use? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the matter? Don't you like these guys? Yeah, they're They're really nice guys. And so (laughs) it's that I've had that same sort of experience. Like, well, what'd you talk about? Uh, We talked (laughs) about this. Uh, So we don't... um, yeah, we don't ask those kind of questions.
3: Okay, so that takes us to the next question, and that is: so if you're so aloof, if I, if I may call it mm-hmm. that, okay, uh, then how do you nourish and develop and uh, lo- allow your friendships to take um, root? How does that even happen? If not by what is the a soil, miracle? right? If <laughs> not by a miracle. Uh,
5: can, I'm gonna can I if I can go back to Andrea's <laughs> question right, right. Uh, just a second ago about um nurturing friendships and are they old friends because i think that was your question was see the, are they older friendships that become extended or are they new ones and um i i have had some interesting thoughts about friendship lately and that is that here i am and uh at a you know fairly ripe, ex- age. ripe age and and i i don't have a lot of friends uh uh male or female i just don't and um i don't know exactly why the- well i i have some ideas uh, so I've had a couple of experiences lately. I think that pertain to that. One is that um, about ten years ago, I um, had a mini. Re- Oddly enough, this is my first experience with Tucson. I was I had never I had maybe been here once a million years ago in Tucson where we are currently sitting. And uh, some uh, couple of high school friends of mine had said we're going to have a, like a mini get together in Tucson. It would be like eight or ten of us. And uh, not a, an official reunion, and so I came here and met up with six. It turned out to be six or seven um, high school classmates, and I had not seen these guys in forty something years, For and have fifty years, fifty years.
3: And have you communicated with them in any way during that period of no,
5: time? not really. Okay, not really. Uh, not almost not at all. And what happened out of that was revitalized friendships. So I am, from that day, 10 years ago, I reestablished a relationship with a bunch of my high school classmates and, and to whom I still now am close. And, and I had this these feelings like, you know, there's a reason that we were friends when we were children. That There must have been, there's a reason for it because it's almost like after almost 50 years, we almost were able to pick up where we left off, and maybe even better because a lot of the little petty things that get in the way of friendship, sometimes like you know a jealousy of somebody's success or or relationships or something like that that it's all at a certain point in life that all goes by the board,
0: so you're making a case in a sense for some kind of original bonding that is valuable, almost like staying in touch with family, perhaps cousins with whom you're not. You have nothing in common necessarily at the outset, but there's something about that original relationship.
6: Yeah, I I had sort of a different kind of experience. I mean, I think of people I grew up with, uh, and I grew up in a really small town, so there's a kind of closeness with people um, that are incredibly, you know, there's a connection there. I guess my experience, two things I think of is that as as a man and being raised, especially I think in a small town, my relationships, friendships centered around a task, whether it was playing war, as playing sports, as we grew up. And so relationships typically with boys, males, was based around a common goal. And I see that even today in my life is, you know, a lot of my friendships are not because somebody likes art. I may find that out later on, but it's a particular project we're working on. The other thing I wanted to mention, I think is, I mean, I think that's great that you did that. One of the things I know, even from the work that I do... Which is is what? As a psychologist uh, working with trauma... And we, the work we do, we talk about social support systems and friendships, is that they change over time. And so while I have those connections with those, those people I grew up with, I don't have that same connection now. I mean, I can relate to them, uh, but my support system changes over time. And I think that's partly why men have a hard time as we get older not developing new friendships. Either our friends die, you know, because we do die earlier than everybody you know than women <laughs> than do. Everybody else. <laughs> yeah, everybody Except else. For cats, We Except don't, for die cats, right. we, we don't right. talk about <laughs> cats. Right. We don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think you know, I don't think Ron and I'm in the same position is my circle of friendships gets smaller and smaller.
0: Here here's a question to the both of you. The the two of you happen to be married men. And as far as I know, the two of you happen to be um, married men with a good deal of satisfaction in your relationships with your female partners. Do you think that has anything to do with not necessarily seeking out brand new friendships? Do you think that having your primary needs met in many ways?
6: Yeah, I would
5: say so. For, for me, it is. Um, you know, God bless my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I feel the same way, but I, 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 think that, and I don't know whether this is a common experience for people, but it, it's been my experience. I had a couple of things. One is that my, for most of my professional life, my coworkers were probably ten years younger than me, uh, or, or slightly more than that, and so there was always kind of a gener. There's always been kind of a generational. I don't get the whole like superhero comic book thing that 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 <laughs> my, my my some of my my peers uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Somehow I missed out on the whole extended adolescence uh, arrested development thing. I think I did anyway. But um, so and the other thing is that the nature of my work was such that I I very often had the feeling that people were approaching me and I'm not I'm not famous or anything like that but I did have the sense that people were sometimes uh, had an ulterior motive for being my friend that they wanted something so you were cautious I was cautious and I and I always felt and I I understand why why I mean, like I said, I am not a celebrity, and I have never been a celebrity. But I understand.
3: To us, you are. No, now. I am, and
5: now you will. Now, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. A, now it's too late.
6: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, I, I see a YouTube Comedy Hour coming. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 yeah. I know. <laughs> um,
5: But uh, but I always felt that 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 you you are you are sort of uh, uh, what was the word you just used? That was a great word about bonded. Uh, no, before about hes- about being hesitant. Oh, cautious. Cautious, Cautious, I guess. Uh, cautious about people. People's motives about wanting to be your friend—that that, that maybe there's something. I always, a lot of times, I would feel that this person is being nice to me because I have something they want.
3: That's, well, and also or um, that I'm the
5: door, I'm the, I'm the gatekeeper to something they want.
3: And along that line, I wanted to add that. Will you mention being? Married and in a relatively lovely marriage, not relatively, but quite so, right? And so then, your male friends are the accidental friends that your wife's girlfriends bring to the table, right? So you have that able that ability to yeah. exchange some ideas. You That love in the corner. There's, at a, times. there's a there's there's a yeah.
0: and there's a flow that, that right. comes in.
6: Right. Well, I think we. For me, it's I acquiesced. She's the one with the skill to connect, which women do much better than men. So who wouldn't take advantage of that? Um, you You're know, an opportunist. <laughs> that, <laughs> an that's opportunist. a great point. So, that's you know, a great point for
3: um, women. Yeah. And we want to own that even more. We are able to connect on a higher level or a different level or more frequent level. And so... Thank you for mentioning that. We're
0: like the fisher people who go out and and in our nets, we can bring home fresh fish. And if you so choose,
3: you can enjoy the dinner. What were you going to add, Ron?
5: I I wasn't going to add anything. Oh, I thought I I was going to say that. that I'm listening.
6: I would would not call my, my male friends outside of my marriage and my relationship with my wife and and the people, the the fish she brings (laughs) to the table as accidental, they, again, are typically task-oriented, that there's a we have a mission, we have a purpose, we have a project, whatever you want to call it. And so the friendships then grow out of that. They're they're not really accidental.
3: Well, accidental in a sense in that she brings the couple to the table and you just meet the man without oh, knowing yes, about the Oh, yes, in those project. relationships, absolutely.
6: Right? So, yeah, and, and then, some of
5: them you like and some of you right. go, we're not having them over for dinner <laughs> ever again. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> right, right, you know, exactly. interestingly, uh, or maybe not, I, I had kind of an opposite experience from Michael in terms of the, my friendships being task-oriented, and they were later in life, the ones I said that it arose out of my professional life. But the ones from my childhood, whether it was high school or college, I had an interesting, I, 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 won't, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I uh, compartmentalized things in my life. So when I left high school and the people that I was close with in high school, I almost... N- didn't see any of those people ever again. And same thing with my college, same with my college friends. That I, I after I left, I don't, so I, I had maybe one or two people from my high school years that I was still friends with. And maybe I had one or two people from my college years that I was still friends with. And so this is why this, but when I reestablished, so that, and the ones that I'm friends with from that, that maintain, we are not taught, we could we could sit we could just sit in a cafe and do nothing or we could watch a movie together or we could have a beer or something where where just being in a, the kind of friendship it is where it's just like being with the person
3: you're such a spiritual man you really are well both of you uh-huh. are but in the way that you speak it's how we women talk as well sitting and doing no nothing. one ever asks us this i
5: don't think that i'm any no particularly no particularly no spiritual goddess.
6: it's just that no one ever asked me before oh. <laughs>
0: you know it's uh, again we're brings, blushing
6: here by the way <laughs>
0: brings up the question of continuity you know, that Ron is saying that, you know, you really had no basic feeling of needing to create continuity. And I think that's one of the differences, perhaps, between men and women, that there's a need for that continuity, and um, especially during single periods of time in our lives where we really need the emotional support, and it may be hard to find it in a in kind of a transient relationship that one might have with a member of the opposite sex. The um, relationships with women, women-to-women relationships, tend to endure over time because of the need or the tendency for continuity. The, I think it's a need and then becomes
3: a tendency for continuity. I, I think that's a great uh, observation. I think that is so true. Uh, we feel that need to stay connected uh, in a different, longer, more powerful way at some times. But I think we are so delighted and we want to Appreciate the two guests and acknowledge them again. And um, Ron, just tell us a little bit more about what you do before we conclude. Oh,
5: <clears throat> I am uh, I'm a talent agent, a famous uh, talent enough, agent, a famous, a <laughs> multi, or as a column in the Tucson Weekly put it, the the owner of a multi million dollar business. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. It yeah, really, it really said that. Right, uh, no. right. he, run, he, runs, he runs his multi-billion-dollar talent agency from a little <laughs> suburb of Tucson, I, and his yeah. cell phone, and, my and cell his phone, telephone. my cell phone, and my my used laptop. Oh. So, <laughs> no, I, and so what I do mostly is um, I work mostly with comedians, some with, uh, sometimes with other uh, variety talent and some musical talent, and we. Uh, Provide entertainment for the cruise industry. And so. could you tell me the
3: name of the film that you starred in uh, that, and that people are raving about? <laughs> no, They're
5: raving. They're still raving about it twenty-five years later. We saw it twenty-five uh, years no, after <laughs> you made it, so <laughs> we, we raved. Uh, I, I, in the, in the early nineties, uh, with some friends, we uh, made a feature film. Uh, it's called. It's currently available on Amazon Prime. It is called Stages Slash. The Montana Run. That's the symbol slash, not the word slash, or the musician slash. It's just the symbol. The, the, and uh, it's uh, it's a feature film. It was um, it was in theatrical distribution in nineteen ninety two, it was on the Sundance Channel in nineteen ninety eight, and then it languished.
3: Until now, until, until the Garness Radio resurrected. That's right.
5: That's right. Until Amazon Prime. So it, it, it's uh, <laughs> and it's about small time show business, which is what I know best. And uh, it's the story of my life, really. Well, it's a fun
3: film. Thank, thank you so you. much for coming. Thank you for sharing about your friendship lives and your stories. And uh, we would love to have you back again.
5: We would love would, to have I would you love back to again. Thank you so much for inviting me. This and, is a
3: topic that
0: will never end. Mm-hmm. And thank you for the installment. And you, Dr. Michael Marks, what do you do and what are you about?
6: Um, I'm a professor of practice at the University of Arizona. In psychology, and I'm also the executive director of a nonprofit that focuses on resiliency training for first responders and nurses and people that are in the public service uh, sector. Um, and so we do uh, trainings around the country uh, trying to increase resiliency scores and reduce suicide rates amongst those populations because they have incredibly high suicide rate even compared to the general population so we
0: have high we have high comedy and we have high serious on the dark side (laughs) (laughs) high high seriousness all in the same (laughs) room well what a pleasure to have you both here thanks so much for being here
1: For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.